0: Peculiar musk on your hipster flannel. Marijuana. Recreational mixed with depression. Clinical. The aroma clings to your skin as I undress your body. Rubbing body. I'll make you brown like me too. Our mouth sounds hushed moans in low tones, pleasure rising like heat with only up to go. So, so red, political cynical talk as we lay naked, post-coveto, in the middle of the night, you play your The Beatles on ukulele, for show repeating, me gusta latinos, like I don't know. The pitying squint on your forehead as I pull my cardigan one shoulder at a time, then I say, I'm tired. I don't think I can drive, can I stay? Hugging me quickly, he's saying I'm fine. Do you remember our first date? You showed up to my house with a tag on your dashiki, turned inside out. We went for sushi. And when I positioned the slender wooden sticks in your hand with a kiss, he said, "Judgmental. You're just mental. And we screamed and spilled the sake in front of the open-mouthed Orientals. After the date, you nailed me to the wall like a painting hanging me up, like an ornamented Indian on a tree placing me on a shelf like a beautiful decorative piece, so high I'll never be tall enough to reach. As blue is locked with deep brown, I recognized my shrinking reflection in your eyes. Sexual tension peaking, releasing. I was reaching for that place, but you pushed me to my knees. You wanted it now on my face. I'm your candy, Willy Wonka. I'm the squaw that you saw in the store window a long time ago. An exotic trophy on display, cold, alone, with nowhere to go. A foreigner in her own home, begging strangers for a white bone.
1: Most people I meet like to know things. Knowledge is like a winning hand in poker. It promises good fortune to the holder and the awe of the other players, if you can keep bluffing. And knowledge is often a lot of bluffing, of claiming and naming, then hoping for the best, of offhand trivia and party tricks. It should not surprise me, then, that most people I meet know something about being Native, and want to probe me for further insight, to live vicariously, to bluff. I am the token Native girl, and it is a role I have slipped into and out of through life. loving hating, than enduring, because people know me
2: already. They
1: just need validation for what they know. See, people want to know what a reservation looks like, if I know the language, if I dance. Simply put, they want to know if I am a real native, not a knockoff that apparently comes in droves wherever their knowledge comes from. And my relative realness depends on their perception of my connection to my tribe, which is defined by my time playing Pocahontas. Because I grew older and no longer look native. Because I am mixed and wider by the second to most eyes. Because English is my first and only fluent language. Because I grew up states away from my tribe with my main connection being my middle name given to me by my native grandmother, my very obviously native father's mother. But wait, maybe I need to go back a few more generations to produce every ounce of my native blood. I am just exotic enough and white enough to exist in no man's land, where I am too native to avoid the question, oh, well, what's your ethnicity? but too white to answer, I am both, without skepticism or the reminder that the person I am speaking to is 4% Apache. Okay, good for you. Often, I apparently need to meet their native friend because we must have so many stories to share with each other. I confuse people both at first meetings and after years of friendship without saying anything. My face tells people something about me, and they are curious. Because people want to know, but what they really want is for me to know that they know. That they understand that being Native means being forgotten, assimilated, and made trendy, That they know what a blood feud is, and because they can name a series of state parks, I should somehow be edified by their knowing. As a child, being exotic meant the other kids wanted to know me. It was a chance to survive in school. As an adolescent, it meant already being known and put into someone's box of who I am meant to be. As a young woman, I am still not sure what it means, so I now put it in terms that most non-native people understand. I am two wolves. I am a story taken and translated so popular culture can enjoy me. I am one tribe, digested as if to represent the nuanced and varied cultures that manage to survive to modern day. On the one hand, I am white, and on the other, I am native, and the one that wins... Oh, wait. I don't get to decide that. Because if I feed one, the other is still very much a part of me. Unfortunately, I am more like two wolves in the zoo. Watched, monitored, examined, and then categorized the color of my coat, or the flecks in my eyes, or the shape of my snout. These define me for all the knowers. I must fit their definition of a native to claim my heritage, shucking off the white side of me as though it were as disposable as my nativeness apparently is to them. But the problem with knowing, with bluffing, is misunderstanding. Knowing me by knowing American history means making me, taking my heritage, even my name, dependent upon someone else's meal plan, putting me at war with myself, waiting to see which drop of blood wins. I am starved of identity because I am engorged with an image, a mystical fantasy. I am divided, then stitched together again. I am two wolves, but I am also me.
3: yeah yeah yeah. I know what I said. There's still some tobacco in these sticks, and I've lived long enough. That brings me back. When Joe and I were kids, we would sneak off yonder and smoke my mama's cigarettes behind those trees. Our family's camp was on the other side on the other side of the grounds, but we would run all the way over there so we wouldn't get caught. Joe used to tell me stories about the rivers and the fish and the birds. He'd tell me stories about what happened on those 200 acres he inherited from his daddy after he died. I remember when I was about five and Joe was 12, a white man in a nice suit knocked on my mama's door. He gave her a business card and said that he was interested in buying the land she owned. He talked to her for about an hour and mama, she was a funny woman. She sat there and listened real quiet until he was done. He sat back, smiled at her and said, will you sell? She took a sip of her coffee and said, I'm afraid I can't do that because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Joe. He asked to speak with the man of the house and Mama called Joe over. He was outside playing in the mud. So when he walked into the kitchen, that man's face quickly lost its smile. Mama asked Joe if he wanted to sell the land to this man in the suit. Joe looked him up and down and said, hell fucking no. Mama laughed and laughed. That man turned bright red, picked up his suitcase and flew right out the door. Never asked Mama what she would have done if Joe had said yes.
2: concrete jungle surrounding me modern society engulfing me threatening to exterminate me take away my humanity and turn me into a machine that in your spirit i have a dream of pine forest and mountain streams i allow your spirit to take me away where i can hear what you have to say father creator take me away for i can dance and i can pray and i can hear what you have to say father creator take me away through the valley of the shadow of death you take me to this place of rest and by the still waters of the soul i gently surrender to you control then I pick up my drum and begin to sing. I just let my voice ring. I <laughs> And then, above the noise, I can hear your still, small voice, Father, Creator, take me away, where I can dance and I can pray. And I can hear what you have to say. Father, creator, take me away. Intimacy with you, almighty, is what I desire. So you take me higher, where your grass is so green and your skies are so blue. Your nature dressed in a beautiful suit. I just wish I had my food Father, Creator, take me away, or I can dance and I can pray and I can hear what you have to say. Father, Creator, take me away.
0: Awakening. between a four-cornered sunset I made my pillow I slept a long time and woke up in cold ice woke up in a nervous fear now my dreams resound starlights clinging to that utopian fantasy my body pushes along my own inner meteorites memories of debris disposing of my own conditioning retiring undignified trophies. Everything hurts me because I'm listening. Nuclear bombs and bright explosions, truth and history carving their names into the sky the scars like skin. I'm a high-flying bird soaring relentlessly above the pollution of white supremacy. Decolonizing though the gray smoke Twisty grabs my ankles, missing me and pulling down some of my people, forcing affection in Stockholm's shackles. Space is consuming our assisting entities. Everything hurts us, but it's only because, collectively, we're moving closer to the standing sun.
4: the Pilgrim's Progress is a two-part tale of interpretive literary work. It is described as a depiction of the life and struggles of a Christian believer. Bunyan, a Puritan preacher, penned the book in Bedford, England over the course of his imprisonment for evangelical work. The book is well loved amongst those of the Christian faith and is generally considered a staple of Christian discipline. While Bunyan was incarcerated in Europe, Metacom, chief of the Wampanoag tribe, also named Philip by Puritan urging for the comfort of the colonists, had reached the limit of his hospitality and patience with their efforts to occupy and control greater shares of the land that had always sustained his people. This set into motion what came to be known as King Philip's War in 1675. Medicom was captured in August of 1676 by a company of rangers emulating Indian war tactics under the shrewd leadership of Captain Benjamin Church, who was fatally shot in Rhode Island by an Indian convert to Christianity and allied churches. This man, John Alderman, was rewarded with the severed right hand of the deceased. church is considered to the forerunner of the modern-day U.S. Army Ranger. In keeping with English punitive tradition, the treasonous king was beheaded and his body quartered. The quarters hung from trees here and there, wrote one historian, so as not to hallow a traitor's body by burial. Authorities in Plymouth ransomed Philip's head and placed it on a spike atop a prominent hill overlooking town. It's said that Metacom's head remained on a pike at the entrance of the city of Plymouth, Massachusetts, the Puritans' pride, for two decades. Following Metacom's assassination, his wife, young son, and thousands more natives were sold into slavery in Bermuda, with hundreds dead. Indian slaves were often sold to plantations in the West Indies in exchange for African slaves. It was during the time of King Philip's War in the 17th century that Puritans became noted for a spirit of moral and religious earnestness that informed their whole way of life, and they sought through church reform to make their lifestyle the pattern for the whole nation. But the acts of these Puritans are often difficult to imagine, ungodly really, and it's reasonable to conclude that there's a seed of Puritanism in any denomination that's separated from Catholicism which has a bushel and a peck of its own problems. We gain a clearer understanding of Puritanism and its hypocrisy. To our shame, Puritans are recognized the world over for their work in founding the American colonies and subsequently the American government. In 1678, around the time the church's band of Puritans exterminated Metacom and his tribe, The Pilgrim's Progress, a Puritan's preacher's allegorical Christian primer, was published in England. The white-haired guy from Quaker Oats is someone's sweet and non-threatening idea of a Quaker. William Penn was a leader amongst them. Quakers, also called the Religious Society of Friends, not unlike the Puritans, consider themselves proponents of honesty, integrity, purity, and religious freedom. Though not his to give, King Charles II, back in England, granted Penn ownership of land already inhabited by indigenous people. That land would become known as Pennsylvania. Penn and his followers would encroach and remain. Penn named Philadelphia, Greek for brotherly love, in October 1682. Two years later, the peculiar institution of African chattel slavery began there, followed immediately by William Penn himself taking into bondage three black human beings at his Pennsbury Manor, just a few minutes' drive north of the city. We typically make no distinction between a Puritan, a Quaker, other religious sects of that time and it turns out there's no need because they're basically the same but are we different the pilgrim's progress actually not allegorically is america this native american heritage month let's reflect on american history hatred genocide theft broken promises neglect racism americanization discrimination and inequity and begin to write a bright new chapter
3: The medicine man was trying to think of a new story. He felt it in his spirit, but the words would not come out. One day in the summer, the creator guided him to a lake. So he went and he sat on the shore waiting for the story to come. It became night, then it became day, then it became night again. The medicine man knew that he needed to stay right there on the shore of that lake. So he didn't leave to eat or drink water he waited the next morning a white crane came down from the sky the white crane moved all across the lake with so much grace and the medicine man was entranced by his movements he left a perfect trail of white feathers as he guided over the water once the crane passed him the medicine man walked into the lake to see the feathers more closely When the medicine man looked into the clear water, he saw trails of bright fish chasing after the feathers. They were red, orange, yellow, blue, and green. The fish were moving so fast at the water that they looked like ribbons dancing behind the trail of feathers. The medicine man noticed that the fish were swimming opposite the crane's path in the water he saw perfect circles of ribbons and feathers he had never seen such a sight like this one before the crane moved faster and the faster the fish swam faster and faster soon the medicine man could not see the individual feathers or individual fish but instead he noticed the water turn in bright colors that moved in circles all around him he realized that the ribbons and feathers were moving to the beat of his heart. And he began to sing a song he's never sung. The words came to him and poured out of his spirit and the water was happy. When the song was done, he came back to the shore. The white crane flew back into the sky. The colorful ribbons turned back into fish. And he told the water that he would come back for three days every summer so that it could dance with the crane of ribbons. And he did. We dance the white feather ribbon dance every summer to honor the lake and thank the creator for giving us a new song. The women dress in ribbon dresses in bright, beautiful colors with turtle shells on their legs to mimic the medicine man's heartbeat. The men carry white crane feathers and two of the leaders carry the feathers high on sticks to lead the dancers in circles. That song has traveled with our people through removal and we still sing that medicine man's words from so long ago.
0: Mother, mom, half of my heart will always be missing the part that belonged to you. Mom, you still don't love me. Did you love me in the womb? Mom, why don't you love me? I'm 20 now. Did I bloom imperfectly? I held your ideals dear to me. As a child, you watered me with your points of view that my eager leaves lapped up thirstily. All through grade school, you taught me about the white man. You sprinkled me with random facts. For you, I stood up to the teachers. For you, I broke the rules. Every word that poured out of your mouth was golden. I danced around you with my little bucket. I longed for your miscellany. Your knowledge. I relayed every droplet that diffused from your infinite fountain to all who refused to listen. Pachakamak, you were my fertility god, chopping me into pretty pieces so others may grow from my seeds. You spread them about the land at times with a heavy hand. You were always adamant. You only planted my need. Did you know I still bleed? Long ago I learned when you slapped my face. I learned that my identity was not in my body. Yet my purpose still escapes me while chasing me. I long for place where no feet have trod. I long for place with you. Mom, I envision myself running in slow motion across a field that is open, a field of burnt flowers, running, then running farther. My brown feet are crunching the soles of my stillborns as I reach for your limitless arms.
5: Amazonian warrior peoples left the Orinoco river delta towards aqua blue unknown. In defiance of stormy spirit god Huracan, whose malaire maelstrom devoured countless canoes pulled beneath the churning sea. Others blessed by supreme goddess Atave fared safe passage under her protective gaze and brought Ararak Island Diaspora ashore. At the confluence of Caribbean identity, Dainos found cerulean sunsets and eucca each spelling tranquility on ID. Boike priests carved radiant histories upon sandstone cliffs grayscale swirls. Occasionally, the gods responded by casting blue waves to erode cherished beliefs. Unknown to Calcica chiefs, Isibali Fernando sought out kaleidoscope blends of incense. Columbus and company of 89 colonists were sailing the ocean blue. 1992, meeting trade winds, looking for a seat at the table. Underneath the marquee moon, La Navidad was constructed above abandoned volio homes, whose materials borrowed from the earth were deposited back. funded by Spain's royal greed, lust coiled around their souls and descended into madness, contrition and constructive guilt, left moored on the Mediterranean, liberated them to deconstruct the definition of human being, to exclude those who viewed hummingbirds as rays of the sun. Then they came for gold-dust women, weaving temptation before their eyes in painted petroglyphs and headdresses. Evil spirits left temptation in palos de la frontera. Native flowers bore the brunt of psychological harm. Bearing fruit in disturbed soil and created roots manipulated by genetic space, and time. Monarchs expanded dominion over Yuka-yeke settlements and drained them of their people. Insatiable thirst for materials became tsunami waves 6,000 kilometers away from freedom. Hearts of gold painted black Created cathedrals christened with blood Exchanged from native hands Who failed to mine their weight in gold 516 from 1492 Tales of conquest scribed from crosses, swords, and guns Still stain the whitewashed walls that border dreams of prestige. Though heritage is grafted from baobab and olive trees, Taino branches were pruned to reduce mestizo features in the land of high mountains. In blood lies new forms of resistance. Contemporary Lords of the Dawn return to ceremonial buol seats and preside over revised editions of published Daino history.
6: Thank you for meeting me what did you find out my mom died five days after i was born do you know how she died that's what i couldn't figure out the obituary didn't mention anything which i thought was odd especially because she was only 19. exactly why would they wait how do you know how old she was have you googled your father You didn't answer my first question. In due time, answer mine first. I did. Nothing came up. Did you check the criminal records? No, should I have? Well, not like you would find anything. What are you talking about? Have you heard of tribal sovereignty? Will you just answer my questions instead of asking me a relevant thing? It's not irrelevant. Do you know what tribal sovereignty means? No. Native tribes are nations. We have our own governments, healthcare systems, etc. However, the US controls a lot of our funding from our own resources of income, our lands and other things that an independent nation would manage on their own. So if you really drew a map of the US, there would be holes all over the place because it's full of little countries. Okay, what does that have to do with- I'm my... getting there, just bear with me. Fine so if i were on a reservation it'd be like i'm in france or something not all of our lands and our nations are reservations but basically and if i commit a crime in france the french government arrests me and i go through their criminal system and serve your prison sentence in france okay however the united states government doesn't recognize our sovereignty they tell us that we can't prosecute non-native people because they aren't part of our nations And they aren't going to prosecute Americans because in their minds, that person was in a different country. So we don't have jurisdiction. The US doesn't have jurisdiction. People who aren't native can't go to jail if they commit a crime in a native nation. But if you stab someone on campus or something, you'd go to the United States jail? Right. Natives can go to jail no matter where they commit a crime. So why should I have checked criminal records, Tamara? I'm sorry I, I didn't you mean no, to no, you didn't do anything wrong this is what just look at it oh my god what why wasn't this in her obituary why couldn't I find this anywhere there would have been news stories, newspaper articles and the- There wasn't media coverage. Why the fuck not? A 19 year olds girl body was found washed up- In Muskogee Nation. What does that have to do with anything? Remember what I said about sovereignty and jurisdiction. Muskogee Nation can't prosecute crimes committed on their lands. We couldn't until the Violence Against Women Act of 2013. And this was- 1998. Oh my God. Did you get to the last page? Not yet. What? No, no, He did. Then how the fuck was he able to put me up for adoption? Wouldn't he? No. God, this doesn't make any sense. Do you need some water? I don't need water. I need to know why my father killed my mother. Why? No. Yeah. My father killed my mother on Native lands. And just walked away. Why isn't the media talking about sovereignty and- They don't care. Why the fuck not? The vast majority of this country doesn't care about Natives. Most of them think that we're all dead and that those of us that are still alive are drunks. The women? Whores open and ready for the taking per manifest destiny. I've never heard that about Native women. Did you go to the march right before break? The second weekend of November? The one with people walking around campus with red handprints on their face? I saw them, but I didn't go. It was to protest our Stolen Sisters. There are over 5,000 missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, over 5,000. And that is a conservative estimate considering because no one cares enough to track it or declare this an epidemic, let alone investigate it. 5,000? And your mother was one of them. Only we're lucky because we found her. And people just get away with it? My own father got away with it? Just have a free pass to do whatever they want to whomever they want? Every day. Why did he even keep me and- He didn't you. Me. What he did to you was worse. Worse? Worse than strangling my mother, than dumping her in the river, only to be found a week later? Worse, because he took you away from your family, from your nation and gave you up to non-native people. My parents are the most loving I never be- said they weren't. But what he did was against the law. No shit. He murdered someone. It's against the law for non-tribal members to adopt a native child, especially in situations like yours. What law? The Indian Child Welfare Act of 1978. I don't know how he was able to do it. No one knows. Frankly, We all thought he dumped you in the river too, but your body never washed up because you were so small. But He could have lied or he could have- (laughs) Okay, slow down. Why is that against the law? People adopt kids from all different races and it's- This isn't about race. I think it kind of is. Being indigenous is not about the color of our skin, our hair, or whatever pedigree of blood we're registered as. It is a way of viewing the world, existing, thinking, breathing, living. Our culture and beliefs is our way of life. What your sperm donor did to you was worse because he forcibly stripped your indigenous identity from you, just like what coloners have done to us since 1492. But I'm only half. Did you know that there are only three things in this country registered by their pedigree of blood? Horses, dogs, and Native Americans. What? We have never regarded someone as native based on their blood quantum, never. If we adopted someone onto our tribe, they were just as Muskogee as someone born to Muskogee parents. Our societies were not built on rigid class structures that keep people oppressed. Like the monarchy and one drop of royal blood? Exactly. So in an attempt to literally breed us out from their point of view, colonizers inflicted these blood quantum pedigrees to eventually eradicate our people. Wow. What makes you indigenous? is being claimed by a nation and actively participating in our culture. What your father did to you was worse because he killed who you really are while you're still living. Why are you telling me all this? Tamara Littlefeather? Yes. She is survived by her mother and father Neil and Lee Starr Her brothers, Daniel Lucas and Vincent Starr, and their wives, and her sister, Laura Littlefeather. Laura's my mom.